We're going to uh, read now and Mike's going to come and speak to us. So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 31. And this is from the ESV version. What's just happened is that Peter and John have just healed a lame man who was lame from birth. And the religious leaders, they're not happy about this at all. They're really, really angry and annoyed about this, uh, that these men are teaching about Jesus and proclaiming him. And so this is where we get up to in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 31. And it reads like this. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What do we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone else in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me pray for Mike as he comes forward. This is Mike Jones, for those who don't know him. Let's pray.
Father, we've just heard some great words of boldness, Father. We pray now for your servant, Mike, as he brings the word to us, Lord God, that you might also um, be bold in him, Father, that he might speak your word, that we might hear clearly what it is that you have to say to us, Father. And not only hear it, Lord God, but then follow in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, John. Uh, Morning, church. Um, Spiritual highs. Uh, We all experience them. Perhaps it's from our quiet times. We've been away at a camp. We've had the joy of being together with fellow believers at a particular conference. Perhaps there's a book you've been reading. A a church service that you felt challenged or inspired by the Lord. Perhaps as the result of your own study, encouragement from a friend... Or perhaps a particular podcast of your favourite preacher. You've been uplifted and built up in your faith. Someone you've prayed for has become a Christian. One of your precious little children has demonstrated a faith of their own. A particular difficult relationship has been repaired. Or you've experienced God's grace poured out to you afresh in some other way. There are times when it seems that nothing is too hard. We've been witness to God's mighty hand at work or we've heard his still small voice and we just feel that we want to tell everyone about it. And then what often happens? We have these mountaintop experiences and then so often the reality of the world hits us. For me, the greatest biblical example of of this is Moses. There's Moses up on Mount Sinai. He's communing with God. He's in God's presence. He's talking with God as one would a friend for 40 days and 40 nights. The glory of God is revealed to him. And he comes down the mountain excited to share what God has revealed to him. And what does he find? The people have got together... They're fashioned an idol with their own hands and they're bowing down to that idol. How often have you noticed that when you've had one of those mountaintop experiences, not everyone shares your enthusiasm? So often these highs come with the stark realisation that few, few even of those people that are close to you participate in your excitement. They weren't there, they didn't experience, they weren't part of that that uh, experience of being touched by the Lord. And it gets to the point that sometimes as the days go on, you wonder whether you really experience what you did at all. There are children to care for. Work is so busy. There's such a study load. There's illness and there's any other number of of things that transpire to cause us to... uh, to forget or to wonder just how that experience of the Lord that that we've had recently fits into our life. And Peter and and John are confronted with a similar scenario here in Acts chapter 4. Just imagine for a moment being in the early church at this time, as we've been looking at the last few weeks. Here is a group of God's people taking the gospel message to the community and the community is responding en masse. 3,000 people are saved when Peter preaches the gospel. We're told that after that, 
people are daily added to the church. A lame man is healed, a man who has been lame since birth. And here he is at 40 years of age, he's miraculously healed. And there's a massive throng of people that want to hear what's transpired. Peter gets to preach the gospel to them and 5,000 men become believers. Sometimes as it happens though, the enemy will actively seek to undermine our passions. And it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, whether you're a Christian leader, whether you're involved in ministry, whether it be kids' church, whether it be youth group, whether it be play group or whatever other ministry we're involved with, whether you're simply a Christian in this world seeking to live for Christ, you understand what it's like. Not everyone shares your convictions, your vision, message or your beliefs. Sometimes that's even the case in church life too. As John read our text this morning, it is a great narrative. It's an exciting account of men being bold in the face of opposition. And if we left it at that, you might leave encouraged by the boldness of Peter and John. Yet when we scratch beneath the surface, we're given an insight as to how we might be able to bear testimony to God's work in our lives, whatever the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, sometimes we read God's word and we come away confronted by what we find. And my prayer this morning is that you will leave here with just such a ringing in your ears. Just as I've been suitably challenged over the last few weeks as I've read through this passage, and I felt God asking me the question, how do you, how do I testify to God's goodness before the circle of influence that we circle of influence that we move in. Now let me start off by querying all of those of you who say you're not evangelists. Sharing the gospel is not your gift. We understand that evangelism is a gift. There are some people that are just naturally able able to sit beside people and apply the gospel to the situations that they find themselves in in their life. Some people are just naturally able to do that. But this passage, this passage that we're looking at this morning is not in contrast to what we've seen previously through the book of Acts and will continue to see evangelistic in its setting. Though, of course, we see Peter's gospel-centred response in a powerfully, powerful way. And there's no doubt some of those present may have been challenged by what he had to say. This audience were not in, in excited anticipation to hear about Jesus. This audience were not there to be convinced. They were not even curious as to what Peter or John might like to share about their faith. The desire of this council was to do what? It was to shut them up. It was to stop them talking. It was to stop them performing these miracles. Stop proclaiming what you're doing. You're causing an uproar in our city. Please do not sit there, sit there thinking that you are, because you may not be gifted communicators like Peter and Paul, that therefore you could not do the things they are doing. Because what they are doing is defending the faith that they have. Bearing witness to the faith they proclaim. And that fellow believer is what we are all called to do. 
It's what we have up here uh, behind me. You'll be my witnesses. You'll bear testimony to me. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. In what sense? How are we ambassadors for Christ? Paul says by imploring people to be reconciled to God. Paul says I become all things to all men. He seeks to identify with everyone that he comes across, everyone that he meets. Why? That some may be saved. Jude talks about contending for the faith. Being a witness for Jesus in the world we live in, the circles we move in is a natural expression of the life we proclaim to live. Now, our text begins with, with some of the very same men The Jewish council meets together. There is the high priest, Caiaphas, John Alexander, the high priestly family. Those same group of men that were present during the questioning accusations and subsequent unjust judgment on Jesus are there to ask Peter and John a question. A question not about the healing, that that they could not deny, But they wanted to know by whose authority, by whose name is this man healed. And I'd like to point to five markers throughout this account that when applied can help to free us of the burden that so many of us place on ourselves in relation to being a witness. The guilt that we can sometimes carry in seeking to be a witness for Jesus Christ. The first marker is found in verse 8. So... The council come together and they get Peter and John in front of them. They ask, by what authority? And then in verse 8, marker number 1, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. There you have it. In a few short words, we see a new man. Gone is the the self-confident, boastful disciple in that upper room. The gospel accounts record for us that Peter had his own heart revealed to him. And it was a shattering moment for him. A moment where he can see the futility of relying on himself as the source of his strength. So they're up in the upper room there and the Gospels record Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me. Peter says, no, everyone might fall away, but I will not. I will even go to death for your sake. And as we looked at Luke Luke last year, we saw that Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, but I've prayed for you. And then we know Peter follows at a distance as Jesus is arrested and he's taken to be questioned. And he's out there warming himself by by the fire with the servants. Three times he's asked, are you a follower of Jesus? Three times he denies, even calling down curses upon himself. Then the rooster crows and Jesus looks. Peter realises what he has done and he goes out and weeps. He realises that when his master needed him the most, he's found wanting. And yet now in the space of a few months, we see the fully restored Peter Peter is filled with the Spirit. 
These are not words of bravado that he replies to the council with. Not words of a man full of self. Not words dependent on his own intellect or even his own Bible knowledge. They stem from being full of God's spirit. And you know what? That same spirit dwells within each and every one of his people, each and every one of his children. Now the question arises, who are you and I full of? When it comes to the crunch, are we more full of self than the spirit? Now we've spoken a lot about the spirit as we've gone through Acts, we'll continue to do so. But one thing has become clear. If you and I are not full of God's spirit, the problem is ours. The problem is in here. In small group during the week, we, um, we noticed how often in the Old Testament, God being grieved equates with rebellion of his people. Isaiah 63.10 says, They rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he, re- he turned and became their enemy. The whole of Psalm 78 talks about the wilderness wanderings where the people continue to re- rebel stubbornly against God. And in verse 40 of Psalm 78, we're told that the Lord is grieved, was grieved because of their rebellion. Rebellion, sin is the key factor at work in whether we are spirit-controlled or whether self has primacy in our life. But the wonder of God's grace is such that often, even in spite of ourselves, his divine will is accomplished. Friends, God's spirit is he who speaks through you to answer the questions, the doubts, the unbelief, the antagonism and apathy of those around you. God's grace is sufficient to overcome our past shortcomings, disappointments or missed opportunities. Only let us, like Peter, walk more in the spirit and less in self. Moving on to the second marker, verses 10 and 12. Let's read it together again. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Second marker is this. The message is all about Jesus. Peter's desire is to point his listeners to Christ. Jesus performed the miracle. Jesus was victorious over death. Jesus is why we stand before you. He is the cornerstone of our faith. Jesus alone is the source of our salvation and there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than Jesus. You guys ask, you want to know why we are doing what we're doing? It's because of Jesus. He compels us to bear witness. Church, our witness is not about how good a show we can put on. And in fact... For me, I know that it's often when I'm least prepared that God opens the window of opportunity. It's often when I least expect it that something transpires that there's an opportunity to share my faith with others. It's not about memory verses, though we encourage people to hide God's word in their heart because it can be so helpful. 
Can I say with respect, it's not even about how much we know about the Bible, though Bible knowledge that, that uh, continues to transform us is vital in our walk with the Lord. Our testimony is about turning people toward Jesus. Now, you might ask, how do I do that? What does that look like in practical terms? Well, not knowing everyone's circumstances, it's a little difficult, but I just have a few questions for you. How can you, at school, at work, in your home, before your friends and neighbours point people towards Jesus? Let me ask, what do you say when someone asks you what you did on the weekend? When someone says, why do you seem to be different? Why do you have different standards than everyone else? What do you say? If you happen to come across a conversation where religious people, Christians, are, are likened to being hypocrites, when you hear, hear something to the, to the, like, how does an intelligent person believe in a loving God that allows suffering? When was the last time you offered to pray for someone who was hurting? It was really encouraging during the week to, to read Claire's Facebook post. She's at a coffee shop. She doesn't actually know the person that came to sit down beside her and through that conversation, she's able to pray for that person. Are you there on a practical level? for those that you come into contact with as they may need help, or showing grace to those who don't deserve it. Let me ask you, how do you respond to that nagging parent? How do you respond to that parent that continues to remind you, can you help with the dishes? My goodness, your room's a mess. Can you just clean it up? Um, Brett's got a smile on his face (laughs) because occasionally we have that conversation too at home. How do you respond to that? How might God want you to respond? (laughs) Parents, what about that obnoxious teenager where at some point in their life, they suddenly wake up and they realise, my goodness, I actually know everything. (laughs) And because I actually know everything, if my parents disagree, then they're the ones that are wrong. How do you deal with that? How would God want you to deal with that? What about that selfish spouse? that boss with unreasonable expectations, or those times when when people talk behind your back. We all have multiple opportunities as a week transpires to respond to the circumstances of life as Jesus would want us to. And they don't require us to launch into a sermon. They do, however, give us opportunity to share why Jesus is important to to us, to acknowledge that while we may not have all the answers, we know someone who does, to share those things that Jesus Christ has done for us, things that no one else can deny or refute. And it leads us to marker number three. Let's read from verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. The authorities could not deny their testimony. The proof is standing there. That man who they had all seen begging at the temple was standing before them. 
They could see the boldness of Peter and John while recognising they had not been to any rabbinical school. They weren't Bible scholars as such. Yet what they did recognise leads us to marker number three. They had been with Jesus. What a testimony. Their lives radiated the gospel message. What a witness. What a statement to those who would actually reject the gospel. These men who refused to accept Jesus as their Messiah were still able to recognise here are men that, have been, that had been with Jesus. I truly hope and pray that my non-Christian family and friends can see Jesus in me through the things I say, through my attitudes and actions. Christ's message is Peter and John's message. His confidence is their confidence. His power, their power. And his glory, their goal. When people are able to see in you that which is uncommon among men, grace, forgiveness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, they are forced to concede, whether out loud or not, that there is a substance there that sets you apart. Now, seeing, in the, seeing a difference in the life of a believer does not in and, of, in and of itself necessarily lead to a positive response. We understand that. We're Christians in the world. It doesn't mean that everyone we speak to, everyone we share with is going to become a Christian too. We know that. So the Sanhedrin decide the best that they can do is to send them on their way and warn them to speak of Jesus no more. Verses 19 and 20 bring us to marker number four. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They could not help but speak. And here in probably the best known portion of Acts chapter four, we see that Peter and John are not able to be quiet about the things that they had seen and heard and experienced in their own lives. Yet, do you notice their response is one of gentleness and respect? They do not seek to, to cause an uprising. They say to these men, whether we should speak or not, you can judge us but we cannot help but share what Jesus Christ has done for us. Well, for us, another question arises. What are the things that God has done, is doing in your life that you cannot contain? Do others look on at you and I and see people being constantly changed into the image of Jesus? If we were given the chance this morning to go to someone and say, this is what God's doing for me, this is how I'm growing, this is what I'm learning, would we really have anything to say? If one day the government would turn around and say, Christians, you need to stop telling people about Jesus. 
Would it really make any difference to the way we live our lives? If our non-Christian friends and acquaintances um, saw in us that we stopped telling them about Jesus or we start, stopped living for Jesus, would they really be able to see that big a difference? So what does it look like to continue to cultivate, to continue to build our relationship with the Lord? Church, what books are you reading? Are you reading? I would encourage you to be readers. If you don't know what to start reading, come and talk to one of the pastors or talk to someone uh, in church life. In your small group, ask, what are people reading? What are people being blessed by? Are you involved in a small group? It's such an opportunity to grow together, to be involved in a small group, to open yourself up to other people, to know that they will support you and pray for you. Do you actually spend time each day asking God for his direction, asking God to challenge you, to grow you, to conform you into his likeness? A simple thing like when you come to church, do you actually take in the words of the songs that we sing? God uses that first part of our service where we listen to, where we sing songs together, he uses it to speak to me so often. I would encourage you to take note of the words you sing. Just don't just sing them. Church, we need to be teachable and we need to return to reading the scriptures. When you come to church on a Sunday morning, do you have an expectant excitement about what God might want you to learn today? About what God might want you to take away and live out during the week? It is here. It is in the Holy Scriptures. It is in God's divinely created and revealed word that we find our strength is renewed, our hearts are revived, our faith is empowered and our spiritual eyes are awakened. If the true desire of our heart is to grow into him, then we will find a richness of truth, an outpouring of grace and an overwhelming sense of awe in our God that we will not help but want to share with others. So as we move on, Peter and John are released and they return to their friends and share their experiences. And the final marker is, um, is found in verses 24 to 28. Let's read it together. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and who made the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the prophets of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The church understood the battle that it was in. Those who reject the testimony of God's people are first and foremost rejecting him. That's what Jesus told the disciples. 
Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised if they reject your message. They rejected me first. Now, I don't suppose many of us have been physically abused because of our faith, but have you had people laugh at the fact you're a Christian, mock the Christian faith, blaspheme, belittle, or reject your claims about your faith? And it's particularly hard when it's people we care about, people that uh, we have friendships with, even people in our own families. Yet, friends, we should take heart. Jesus has been there. The creator and sustainer of all things was spurned by those he came to save. And even now, when the gospel we share is rejected, it's not us that they reject. It's he who sent us. And his response, the response of Jesus, is to show grace. Not wanting any to perish. We're not responsible for the outcome, but we're called to bear testimony to his grace in our lives. I just want to encourage you to consider the response of the early church as a result of this opposition. Let's read verse 29 together. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It seems entirely reasonable to me that, that if our message is rejected if we feel hurt because people mock what we have to say or don't want to listen or we're persecuted in some other way, that we would want to keep our heads down, that we want to keep a low profile. Yet what do we read in verse 29? They ask for boldness. Lord, give us more opportunity is what they're saying. Church, while we may feel ill-equipped, discouraged or even defeated and overwhelmed at times with the task at hand, let us gather together to ask for boldness, to proclaim him while he does the work of transformation in the lives of those around us. While he convicts people, while he challenges people, while people are transformed, may we be bold. May we be confident in knowing that he who is within us is greater than he who is within the world. Church, our effective witness, our testimony, it starts with us. Being dependent on his spirit, pointing people to Jesus, not whatever gifts and abilities we might have. Our goal is for others to look on and see Jesus reflected in our words, in our actions. What is it that we have experienced, that you have experienced, that I have experienced, that we cannot help but share? What has God done for us and with us and, and for us that we cannot help but share with others? Do you truly recognise the spiritual battle for the gospel that continues today? Even now as we speak, 
whether your testimony is a powerful one, whether it's been found wanting in the past, tomorrow is a new day. A day where his grace is sufficient to overcome our weakness and powerfully proclaim him through you. Do you appreciate that God has strategically placed you to be his ambassador where you live, work and play? No one else has the opportunities that you have to bear testimony to what he has done for you. He has placed you in a special place. Well, in closing, as as a leadership, will you pray with us? Pray that together, as a group of God's people here at Canterbury Gardens, our lives will be spirit-driven, that we will be believers in this world seeking his glory, not our own, that each of us will be willing to share of the work Jesus is doing in our own lives, boldly asking for faith and opportunity before a world that rejects him that doesn't even recognise its need of him. It's not up to a select, gifted few. If you're a Christian, you're equipped with everything you need to be the testimony God wants you to be. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for um, these confident, bold men, Peter and John. Thank you that their strength comes from that relationship with you. Lord God, may you enable us to be bold as we go about this week, as we go about seeking to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. May you give us opportunity to share what you are doing in our lives and may you do the work of transformation both in our lives and in the lives of those around us. May we at Canterbury Gardens have a heart that seeks to serve you, to powerfully proclaim your word as we have opportunity, that we might be your witnesses in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.